Now, it's time for Inspirational Women and my guest, Tiffany Jewell, a trained Montessori educator and now a number one New York Times bestselling author. For two decades, Tiffany has put her energy into creating the most supportive and honoring educational experiences for young kids and ultimately their families. She has so much to share that writing books about her approach, thus sharing it with the world at large, is invaluable to us. And Tiffany joins us to share some insights into her life and her new book, The Anti-Racist Kid. Tiffany Jewell, good morning. Thank you so greatly for being with us today. Thanks for having me. Good morning to you, too. Well, thanks. You know, I am just so feeling so privileged that we have this opportunity to talk because I am so grateful for the work that you are doing as a teacher, as a writer, as a mother, as a citizen (laughs) in this country. And just having the insights that you do to bring forward the important work that you do, which I think saying here we are this morning to talk about this new book, The Anti-Racist Kid, a book about identity, justice, and activism, really shouts, states very clearly what your work is all about. And so first, thank you. Thanks is such a small word, but thank you for doing this important work. Oh, you're welcome. It's such an honor to be able to do this work, especially with children and families. So and as an as an educator, of course, you're very connected with children and families. Yep. All the time. And having children of your own and having been a child and grown up <laughs> in this country. So to that point, when along the line did you feel that this was work that you were given to do, that it was really like your responsibility? Yeah, my story has, I feel like it always starts like around the age of nine, nine years old for me, um, was when I really became aware of great inequities based on um, class and gender and sex and race and kind of um, throughout my life, as I've grown older and older, I've gained more awareness and more ability on how to Um, stand up and speak out, but it really was um, some of my experiences in school. And then later, working with young children, um, I started out as a preschool teacher in Western Philadelphia, and just experiencing the like utter joy and the fatigue of working with toddlers, and also realizing that they're small and they're, they're still learning and they're whole people. And so I found the, the education framework called anti-bias education when I was a preschool teacher. And that just spoke to me because the first goal is we want young children um, to love themselves and to have confidence and self-awareness um, because once you can do that, then you can kind of move all the way into advocating for justice. And I was like, Oh, that. That's exactly how I feel about everything in the world. And so kind of as an educator, moving along with that and getting to know children and what's developmentally appropriate and the things that they care about and hearing the things they care about and are passionate are often the same thing we as adults are. They just don't always have the same language as us to talk about it. 
Yes, and that language is uh, certainly front and foremost in this Mm -hmm. really amazing new book, The Anti-Racist Kid. But just kind of backing up a moment, and you're sharing with us that it was around age nine that you discovered this. So, you know, thinking of that in terms of maybe ourselves, but thinking in terms of the, the youth, the kids around us, and thinking of that age... Is that a time when you became conscious of how others were viewing you or saying things to you? Yes, um, that and it was really, I wrote about it in my first book. This book is anti-racist. There was a teacher um, in our school and we were predominantly or more black students than than white students in our school. And we had, most of our teachers were white. And so we had a, a white teacher who lived in the Um, suburbs and her experience was very different from us black kids who grew up in the city and she was pretty overtly racist in the way she talked about things and and some of the things that she said Um, she was definitely like prejudice against um, black children particularly black boys and so it was witnessing the way she treated some of my very best friends that really kind of shocked me, not not just like the way she treated them, but the fact that she was still in the classroom and that we were supposed to learn from her. And it was seeing that and witnessing it and being you know, and experiencing it where I really um, came to understand that not everybody's treated equally. Not everybody cares for my friends and us the same way that I I expect them to. And so it was like kind of this great, for me, this great awakening. And I didn't really know how to talk about it Mm -hmm. until I got a little older. Well, thank you for sharing that. Certainly I miss that because I did not uh, have the opportunity yet to read mm-hmm. your first book. And and, yeah. and all of that to say that we as adults, these are written for children, but I have a real heart for children's literature, oh. for, for, for kids' books and young adult books. And I think that the message is sometimes, it's placed, put forward more in simple terms that uh-huh. we as adults can really then get it, I think. So- Oh, yeah, <laughs> right. Sure. I love children's books for oh. that very reason. Oh, I do too. I, you know, once upon a time, I, I've been a storyteller and I gravitate to children's books because they are a great way to to share Im- important ideas and just to entertain as well. But but you can put forth great ideas, which you've done. But circling back then, <laughs> because this is about you and the work that you're doing, <laughs> thinking about... Um, you as a, ch- a child, nine years old in in this classroom and thinking about that was injustice, having yep. that kind of a teacher continuing to have that role with these young, fresh children who are ready to learn and do things. I, mean, you, I can see how so much injury was being done. On the other hand, too, though, I'm seeing how because I think about life purpose, how you were given that opportunity and you took it to do something about it. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I, there's a reason why I work with children. I I thought for a while I would go into medical research and I was like, Oh no, I think it's just, I need to work with young folks um, because I really love having conversations with them. And um, I love being able to witness 
children uh, coming into themselves as readers and mathematicians and scientists and, yes. and to um, also be able to have the like opportunity to to have these like big deep discussions about things like oppression and justice um, that are sometimes their first conversations you know in the classroom with their peers or their teachers um, or like a continuation of what was started at home but never finished. And so it's such an honor to be able to work with young children. And you're saying that you thought about medical research, <laughs> which is such a great thing, of course. However, there are then many people who could then do that because you're here nurturing these young minds and helping them to know who they are and what they really are capable of doing. Mm -hmm. And uh, in that way, you're you're that medical research multiplied countless <laughs> numbers of times because of the work that you're doing. Yeah, sure. It's incredible, too. At this point, I have students who are well beyond college and, and starting their own families and everything, too. So, yeah, knowing uh, that there's so many amazing, great people out in the world is awesome. And so we see how that early education is so critical. Um, some people are just not as resilient, or maybe it just keeps happening so much that they are tr just really trampled down and, and can't get up. So fortunately, you, you saw this, and, and I'm sure that with your family support, you just continued to nurture this and grow this to the point where you are now working with young children and writing about it so even more people, not just uh, in your community, but across the country, around the world, can can learn and grow too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things where you... Um, so I'm a Montessori educator, and we often talk about um, something called your cosmic task, like your role in the world. And it's not just one. You can have multiple. And so I definitely think part of my cosmic task or, um, is to write these books and to do the work of supporting young children and, and growing into their activist selves because we all, I think every. I'm being general here, but many, many people really care for and want justice in the world. And we want to be our whole selves wherever we go. And, and we want um, to have laws and policies and traditions that are uh, equal and, and just for everybody. And, and so it feels really like special and lovely to be able to to move into this, you know, my first role was as an educator, and now I'm moving into my author role, and I'm excited to see where this takes me to. And so you still, in a way, ha well, it still is an educator role as an author. Yeah. You're hugely Absolutely. educational. You don't get into the classroom as much, but maybe the education is happening um, on a bigger platform. Yeah, and it's nice, too, because I, I feel like with my books, I have the opportunity to be in homes, right, and to have um, to help support and foster conversations between caregivers and the children in their lives. Um, 
which is really exciting. Uh, sometimes as, as a teacher, um, things are limited to my classroom because I can go into every <laughs> every student's home and, and um, keep the work going. And so it's exciting to be able to to share these books um, because the thing the thing I love about the anti-racist kid is it's well it's a book written for children. It really is a book for us caregivers when we're like I don't know how to. Mm. where to start with the answer and hopefully this book will help them feel a little more confident um, and like they're not alone in trying to um, talk to their kid about racism and identity and justice. Yes, exactly. In that sense, you have really lightened the load, make it made mm. it easier because <laughs> the vocabulary can certainly be challenging and in this yeah. book, you really have you're you're so ultra conscious of the <laughs> the language and making sure you're just really uh, covering all bases as much as you can, right? Yep. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yes. It was really fun for my editor and I to go through and create the glossary <laughs> in the end after um, looking at the book and being like, "What are the words that we've like used over and over that we really want to make sure people can like refer to whenever they need to easily?" Um, and the glossary came out way bigger than we first thought it would, <laughs> <laughs> which just shows how. There is this language that we're uncertain about, but to mm-hmm. have this available to all ages, to the kids to see it, for the parents and the grandparents yeah. and the teachers, all to it just have that at your fingertips makes our, our work, our life uh, that much better, really. Yeah. Yeah. The other yeah. thing that I, I appreciate, too, is... You know, um, early on in the book, uh, did you know and talking about the different racial groups that we call them in our country and and naming some and then saying, and so many more and so many Uh more, realizing that, you know, there's not this real finite definition. It just keeps expanding and Mm -hmm. not lock ourselves away in a box. Right. That was always one of my favorite lessons to do with children too was to kind of look through the history of the census and be like hey look at all the different ways the government has asked us to describe ourselves at different points and it still keeps changing because we learn more about our own histories or we um, get to reclaim some of the, the our own identities we get to name them frame them um and so it is, I love going through that history piece with kids because they really, they really understand it. And I think um, the thing I also really love about working with kids is they're really just ready for any kind of information you're going to share with them and they don't take it so personally, right? Like talking about racism can feel really daunting um, for many adults because we think of our own kind of histories with it or, um and all of the like implications of like historical and, and some folks feel guilty, but children don't. They're just kind of incredibly imaginative, and so they also will just problem solve um, our ways out of oppression. They're like, "Well, if we were around, this wouldn't have happened." Or they're like, "Well, here's what we need to do to like figure out how to end systemic racism today." Um, and they're so like ready, uh, which is so 
humbling as an adult. Um, and it's also really exciting uh, because we can just kind of like get right into um, building that kind of solidarity work together instead of uh, sometimes with adults, we have to do all that work of unlearning and, mm-hmm. and learning and relearning. And, um, it takes a lot of time for us uh, to, to process and move through and, and children are often just very ready Yes, they have so much less undoing to do. It doesn't uh-huh. take that energy. And what you say, the other word I want to add to this is hopeful, because, mm-hmm. it, you know, sometimes we can really feel discouraged by what we see around us, or if we listen to the news any amount of time or too much of the time. Mm-hmm. But here to hear your experience and how our young generation you know, just really has these visions and ideas and wants to be part of it, it's very hopeful. Yeah, and they're really hopeful. Thank you for reminding me of that word. (laughs) (laughs) And they are our hope. I mean, sometimes it can Mm -hmm. be discouraging when we see just the whole gamut of things that goes on in our world. Certainly, uh, the whole racial injustice, societal injustice we see going on is is enough to be crushing and then add the layers of what we see in terms of violence around the world or the -hmm. the climate. But but the children, if we keep wanting to help them, nurture them and ourselves grow and change in the process, there's always that hope. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And you saw this. I love cosmic task you know that that feels that feels um so much more stronger than saying life purpose life purpose is good Mm -hmm. but uh cosmic task really makes it this overarching way to approach our life and and you've embraced yours yeah i also love that term because i think it really connects all of us you know we're all in this like planet in the cosmic world together um and so our like my cosmic task is connected to somebody else's like we're all connected with our tasks um which i think is really beautiful too it it is and to have children be aware of that at a young age because many of us myself right in that camp didn't grow up with that awareness but Mm -hmm. so it's that's another piece of hopefulness to start that kind of education and awareness at a young age really uh says that things can be sped up things can change more quickly because there's a a, that broader greater consciousness Mm -hmm. yeah so and there you are. Yes. With <laughs> with this with all your books, but the anti-racist kid, a book about identity, justice and activism. Uh it's just a a beautiful book. You you mentioned how it can be picked up and looked at at any page, uh which we as adults might want to do, but but kids can too. There might be just something they thumb through and the colors attract them or a, some kind of word jumps out at them from uh affirmations or did you know and and that's a great way for them to learn, isn't it? Yeah, and I love I love Nicole Miles' illustrations. They just like it may, kind of turns this like hard conversation about anti-racism or racism right into something that's totally approachable for young readers. 
Um, and I also love in this book, I have three characters they are named Ruby, Danny and Sean and they're friends. They're in the same class. They're about eight and nine years old. And um, they, I, my hope is that all young readers will see themselves in at least one of these kids um, who are guiding them through understanding what identity is and how can we work towards justice together? And what does it look like to be active in my community when I'm only a a kid? Mm -hmm. Um, And it it was really fun. I'm, I feel like uh, I would be friends with the the kids and the characters. If I was nine years old, they would have been my friends. (laughs) And so I hope all the readers will feel that way too and, and really feel connected to them. I am with you on that, uh, Tiffany, because I think that uh, you have captured a really kind of a more of a oh, what a, a full person because we are not a single thing: uh, a girl, a a boy, cisgender, or trans. We're we're just so much more than that, and that's what you're offering. And I think kids. Uh, will be encouraged by that. They'll see we're multiple things. I think so. Yeah. And, and and kids know that, but they don't always have the the space or the opportunity to share that in mm-hmm. in their classroom or in at home or within their community group. And so hopefully when they're reading the book they'll be like, Hey, I am totally a whole person and I can be myself. Yes. And that's where books are so great. Mm-hmm. In general, because more and more now we have more literature that is reflective of the, of, you know, the whole gamut of cultures that we have in our country and the world so that kids can see themselves more in those pages and and, and learn more and feel just, even just okay. Right. Yeah. So I think yes, you by your characters, you've certainly offered that opportunity to any of the readers, and and isn't it a great book too? That while kids can pick it up and read it on their own, for their caregivers, whoever they are, teachers, parents, grandparents, they can also participate. And in, in fact, that's even perhaps a a more engaging and and better way to be learning for both. I hope so. I hope, you know, it's the kind of book that, um, you know, a caregiver might read alongside their child at at bedtime or, you know, as a teacher, I would totally have several of these in my class and just, you know, put them out and, and ask my students, like, what is something you're interested in today as they look through that book? What do you want to know more about? How can I help you? Um, and then we can kind of look and through it and explore what the kid is interested in. Um, I do want to share, you know, the book is filled with questions. It's kind of the format. Like there's a question, like what is racism? And then, and then I answer it. And all of those questions are ones that past students and all the children that I've known in my life have kind of asked multiple times. And so these are questions that will be very familiar to many educators and caregivers. Um, And sometimes we know how to answer that question right away, and sometimes we don't. And and hopefully this book will feel like a partner for for those adults who are working with children who have many questions because young children ask questions constantly. (laughs) 
so that is definitely a a great tool because as a as the adult we might feel like I should have the answers but to admit I don't but here is like this amazing toolkit to guide yeah. us along. I hope so. <laughs> well, definitely. You know, I'm going to just like uh, focus in early on in the book and talking mm-hmm. about race and it being a social construction. So in my youth, I mean, definitely I never heard that. Uh, right. So I, and I'm assuming most adults haven't, uh, or if they did, it wasn't very clear to them. And in fact, for me, I think it was only about six or seven years ago, I saw a great uh, uh, NPR video presentation that really went, uh, I'm forgetting the name right now, but mm-hmm. but that's where it came up. And I, I mean, it was just eye-opening, really almost mind-blowing to think, oh my gosh, what have we done? Right. And to... It really is like, what have we done? Yeah. Yeah. And to expose children to the fact that that's the case now, very gently, you know, that eventually they may want to see those videos too. But this is just really an easy, easy. it's a gentle (laughs) conversation to have that presents it, right? Yeah. yeah, and you know, like, I don't, as a, as a mama and a caregiver and a teacher, I don't sugarcoat things for children at all, but I also, like, want to meet them where they are. I'm mm. never going to try to explain something to a child that is more so explained to an adult. I'm not going to use the same language. I'm not going to go into as many details, which is why I love writing for children. Um, but to, like, why why shouldn't we tell them that race, is a social construction, that it's not something, you know, that's like comes from nature, that it's something that was created by people and, mm-hmm. and institutions um, because they're, they'll find out at some point, right? Like yes. we all have um, by now. And so why wouldn't they clue them into that and share that? Um, and this book is a lot of like me sharing, you know, information that I didn't learn when I was eight or nine or or 10 and that I really would have loved to have known. And so hopefully the readers will not, they'll feel more connected to the adults in their lives as they are like, Hey, I can have these conversations too. Yes. Yes. And that's not to be lost either. The bonding Mm -hmm. then that can happen to feel that, you know, we can, work together to be part of the needed change that needs to go on. Right. Yeah. Yep. Oh, that is, again, hopeful (laughs) and exhilarating (laughs) for for us to look forward to our future. Should people want to, and I hope they do want to connect with you, how can they do that, Tiffany? Yeah. Um, Social media is where you can find me, mostly on Instagram, Um, but sometimes I'm on Twitter and I have the same handle for both. Uh, It's my name, Tiffany M. Jewell. Um, So pretty easy to find and you'll see a picture of me too. So you're like, yep, that's her. Um, But that's usually where you can find me. Great. And of course, the book, it's, uh, this second book is now freshly out and available Mm -hmm. at all of our favorite book sources. True? Yep. Yes. All of your favorite bookstores and even the ones you don't like, it's still there. (laughs) Well, we have to. libraries too. (laughs) I I can attest to it. It is in Seattle at the library. 
Nice. Yes. Awesome. Yes. So that too. And and libraries are a great place then to find a book and then you think, oh, I need to have my own copy because this is yep. so important that we need to keep referring to it. And uh, I can't keep <laughs> renewing it at the library because there's such a wait list. Right. right. I love the playlist. Yes. <laughs> seeing how many other people are reading the same things with me. <laughs> exactly. That's true. And then, uh, you know, so that brings us to the point then we could have book groups around it, con- connect with um, members in the community and in the yeah. school system uh, to to do this together and support each other. Yeah. Yeah. There are tons of schools in the country, this country and in Canada, who are using my first book. This book is anti-racist in not just in their classrooms and schools, but in um, small groups with kids. And so I'm really excited for it to kind of move into elementary schools, too, with the anti-racist kid. I mean, there already are some schools who are um, planning on having identity, you know, um, I'm not sure what they're called, maybe, uh, but clubs like anti-racist clubs or justice clubs with kids where they'll be reading my book. Oh, that is beautiful. And didn't you just recently have a virtual meeting of sorts with uh, someone here in Washington State, a group of... I did. Yep. It was with the Northwest Association of Independent Schools. Um, And it was such an honor to be able to share a presentation and and to start to answer questions. There were so many questions. We didn't get through them all, but it was able to connect with a bunch of caregivers and educators and parents and even some children were present, which was really fun, including my own nephew. Um, (laughs) It was such a treat to share. Wonderful. So that, again, is encouraging. It shows then how conversations are begun. This is going to, I anticipate, have like that snowball effect and continue to grow and reach out. And this gives us that word, hope for our future. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Well, you are certainly a voice of hope and certainly inspiration, Tiffany Jewell. I am so grateful for you for following your cosmic task (laughs) and uh, doing it in such a wonderful way. And of course, taking time to share that with us this morning. Yeah, thank you for having me. I love talking about working with children in this work, so thank you. Well, you are so welcome. I am just grateful we've had this opportunity. Thank you. That brings us to the end of a very full hour of Inspirational Women with Tiffany Jewell and Sunday Morning Magazine with J.O. on the subject of the Affordable Care Act. I'm Kate Daniels, your host, and I greatly appreciate your sharing this hour with me and these special guests. For details you might have missed or information you'd like to know, please just send me an email, kated at warm1069.com, and I will get right back to you. Also, if you'd like to listen again or share these important stories with your family and friends, find the podcast on our Warm 1069 webpage. Just click on the podcast tab, then either of the show names, and then look for the guest names. I now wish you and your family a day of communicating the things of value and support in our lives. Have a week of the same, and then please plan to join me again next weekend for another hour of Sunday Morning Magazine and Inspirational Women on Warm 106.9. Good morning and big wishes for an amazing Thanksgiving week.